Welcome to KUOW's Speakers Forum. I'm your host, John O'Brien. In this episode, Misty Copeland is the first African-American woman to become a principal dancer at a major American classical ballet company. Her path to achieving that distinction was basically the opposite of what's expected for a ballerina. She had never been exposed to classical dance, started late, and had no confidence in herself. Once I was brought into the studio that I ended up um, attending on full scholarship, it was the first time that it literally, like, this confidence that I'd never experienced in my life was just, it came out. I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm beautiful here in this space. I'm, I'm good at this, I'm smart at this. And it all just like clicked. It became this incredible, beautiful fantasy escape for me from what I'd only known as my life, which was um, a lot of chaos. Misty Copeland is the author of Life in Motion, An Unlikely Ballerina, and Ballerina Body. In this conversation with University of Washington professor Valerie Curtis Newton, she recounts the story of what it took to achieve her improbable success. They spoke at UW's Meany Hall on March 24th as part of the UW Graduate School lecture series, Equity and Difference, Privilege. Good evening, my name is Valerie Curtis Newton and I am And I am the head of performance in the University of Washington School of Drama, where I teach acting and directing. Uh, on behalf of the graduate school here at the university, I'm happy to welcome so many of you. Um, a university, at least a good one, is intended to be an incubator for aspiration. As faculty members, we vow to empower every student with the skills and belief that their dreams are within reach. And here at the University of Washington, we pride ourselves on being boundless, unlimited in our pursuit of knowledge, information, experiences, life. We support one another's pursuits to be free of intimidation or, discour or discouragement by difficulty, danger, or disappointment. We are undaunted. And tonight, our guest, Misty Copeland, embodies all of these characteristics. Boundless was she as she leapt through feelings of agony, hurt, desolation, hardship, and rejection. At the age of 13, she pushed herself to go out on a limb far beyond her comfort zone. It was there that she found her calling, her place, her peace in a ballet studio. When she was only 17 years old, Debbie Allen called her a child who dances her soul and stated that she couldn't imagine Misty doing anything else. Debbie Allen called it right, didn't she? <laughs> On, uh, in August 2015, Misty Copeland was promoted to principal dancer for the American Ballet Theater, making her... <laughs> making her the first black woman to achieve that distinction in the theater's 25-year history. So tonight on this stage, I am deeply honored to welcome Misty Copeland.
Hi. Hi. <laughs> so um, I told you that I wasn't going to do the, the Wikipedia uh, uh, interview. Because okay. people, they, they know who you are already. <laughs> um, uh, I, I would like to ask a question about the first, uh, the first moment that you met ballet. Mm -hmm. What was that? And what, what shifted in you in that moment? So much. I mean, okay, so we're not gonna do the Wikipedia, but I'm gonna go back a little bit. You do you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, as a, as a child, I just lived my life in fear. Um, one of six children growing up in a single parent home, uh, we were just constantly in motion and on the move and, and moving from this friend's house to this friend's house and sleeping with this cousin's, this cousin's house and this aunt's house and in this motel. And um, I just became like this shell of a person and I was just hiding behind my siblings. Um, just the thought of going to school gave me anxiety and, and fear. Um, I didn't want any attention on me. And, and I didn't know that I even had a voice that I wanted to share with anyone. Um, so when I was pushed into, into ballet, because I was pushed, I'd, I'd never heard classical music, I'd never seen uh, ballet, I'd never seen any formal dance in any way, wasn't exposed to it growing up. Um, that first time that I stepped into, I mean, the, the first class was on a basketball court at the Boys and Girls Club. And I don't think I really got it then. I was like, what am I doing here? In my <laughs> socks underneath this hoop, I'm trying to do ballet. <laughs> um, but once I was brought into the studio that I ended up um, attending on full scholarship, it was the first time that it literally, like, this confidence that I'd never experienced in my life was just like, it came out. Um, I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm beautiful here in this space. Like, I'm, I'm good at this. I'm smart at this. Um, and, and it all just, like, clicked. It became this incredible, beautiful fantasy escape for me from what I'd only known as my life, which was um, a lot of chaos. The, the, one of the interesting threads, I think, in doing the research on you is this uh, this balance between, or this war, between the confidence and the insecurity. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how, especially moving up into the profession, how the insecurity shows itself? And then sort of what were the things that helped you to hold on to your confidence in the mm -hmm. face of that other stuff? Um, it's, it's really difficult, as a, especially as a classical dancer. Um, we are, we have to be open and vulnerable um, to perform, to be like, to be a true artist. I think you have to have that side to you. Um, and we're also, you know, we're just kind of like these blank canvases and, and our uh, ballet masters and mistresses and coaches and all of that, they're there to tell you what you're doing wrong. Like that's how we get better. But um, there comes a point where I feel like it's, it's, easy to get um, kind of caught up in, in too much of that negativity and then you become so hard on yourself and, and lose that 
um, confidence. For me, I feel like a lot of the insecurities started to come when I was a professional dancer, um, when I joined American Ballet Theater, and my body started to change. I no longer was this ideal uh, ballerina body, you know, and I hit puberty. Um, also, you know, being the only black woman in a company of 80 dancers for a decade, it just like wore on me and, and made me feel so insecure. But there was something that always happened when I went on stage, and it was like I always had confidence. Um, it, it took me like decade, a decade probably before I really experienced what it was to feel like nervous on stage. Um, but it, it is a hard balance. And, and for me, it's, it's really about like the support um, system that I have in my life that allows me to keep that, that balance. So I want to talk about two things that come out of that. The first one is uh, um, you had really great mentors at every stage. Mm -hmm. I mean, people who, in the, the language of our young people, they were ride or die yeah. from Misty, <laughs> right? Um, uh, I, I, I love the story of your first set of mentors, Elizabeth and Cindy. And, yeah. And then uh, also what happened when you got to ABT and they sort of made a team for mm -hmm. you. Can you talk about having th those those people sort of placed yeah. at the right place at the yeah. right time? It's it's so vital and so important and and I don't think I even realized it because it was there. It was there for me. Um, but it's something that I'm I'm constantly speaking to like the youth about and like young dancers that I mentor like the importance of having that. Um, uh, Elizabeth Cantine, who is now like my godmother, but um, she was a teacher of mine in my public school. She's the one that um, pushed me to go take this ballet class. Um, and then Cynthia was um, my first ballet teacher, and I lived with her for three years while um, I was trying to get caught up on all the training, um, starting so late. Um, at 13, At 13, so yeah, <laughs> it is. I, I mean, I only trained for four years before I became a professional, so I had a lot to do in that time. Um, but it was, you know, these, these two women that were there, like financially supporting me, um, you know, point shoes and all, you know, it's a, a very expensive art form to be a part of. And, um, and just being there for me, I think kind of um, rebuilding this broken girl that I don't even think my mother realized, you know, that she was raising this broken girl. Um, you know, not having someone there to tell me I was good enough or good at something or beautiful. And I feel like they kind of filled me in in that way. Um, and then when I, when I got to American Ballet Theater, um, Kevin McKenzie, who's the artistic director, has always been so incredibly supportive of me, which isn't always the case in a lot of companies, and especially being, you know, a minority and 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 being the only one. Uh, he saw when I was kind of, you know, feeling he was feeling that I was going down the wrong path, and and he and he always told me that I had what it took to go all the way. Um, but it's kind of like, okay, well now what do I do? What do I do with this? And he was really great in, in reaching out to um, a really special woman in my life, Susan Faleshill, who was um, on the board of directors and she's um, this incredibly strong, powerful, accomplished black woman. And it was the first time I had someone like her in my life that I was like, I'm you, like I'm, I am like you and you are succeeding and you are incredible. And it was the first time that I really felt like a, a true connection to a positive image of a black woman that I could like touch. And it did so much for me um, and my confidence. It's, a, it's also sort of miraculous that Kevin 
recognized what you needed and knew that ABT didn't necessarily have it mm -hmm. to give you. Yeah, it's pretty And to reach incredible. out to get it for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was pretty powerful. Yeah, it is powerful. It was his. It was his idea, and you know, he was like you know, told Susan, like, take her under your wing, like, watch out for her, do what you need to do to, you know, to, to be there for her and set an example. Um, uh, in talking about these mentors and, and what it is to be a black woman dancing, um, I wonder also about the element of class and, mm -hmm. you know, coming from a, a struggling working class family yeah. and needing the, these, these supports, uh, as you moved into the professional ranks, is there a, a similar kind of divide between the people who grow up with a certain kind of privilege and the people who find the resources to get themselves yeah. there? Um, you know, I think something that's so incredible about art is that it brings people together and it kind of puts you on even playing fields. And so I feel like... Um, just my experience from you know being around professional dancers for as long as I have and being in American Ballet Theater, it's like once you get to that point, we're all the same. Mm -hmm. but, but during my training process, it was really difficult um, to feel that you fit in and you belong, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, the class thing. And you know, I'm you know, going home to the motel on the weekends and my friends are going off you know, to, the, to ski uh, you know, mm -hmm. in, in, in California somewhere in the mountains. And, it's, and so it's, it's um, an interesting thing to, to experience, mm -hmm. yeah. The, the, the straddling two worlds, really. Yes, it um, is. But, uh, was it hard? Was it hard for you? In the beginning. In the beginning. Yeah, yeah. It was it was difficult for me to um, feel that I'm a part of something that's finally like this is my home, and then you know, and and I you build these bonds with these dancers that you're with every day, but then you leave the studio, and then it's like we're not really the same anymore, <laughs> you know. So mm -hmm. it's a, it's an interesting thing to experience as a child. And then you would have the opposite side, which is you go home to a family that doesn't that really understand absolutely the yeah. ballet life, right? that, And that was hard. That was hard as well, and and um, it was a really difficult time. And and you know, I think I was 15 years old when my family went through the whole court case yeah, situation. You, you became um, like Entertainment Tonight TV famous. <laughs> yeah, it was not fun. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, it was difficult for my, for my family to really understand that, you know, this is normal in, in, you know, in the athletic world and in the arts that, you know, dancers go off at a young age and they, they live with, you know, coaches or they go to boarding schools and, and they focus on their training. And it was so far from the world that we all knew that it was like, no, you're taking my sister away. You're taking my daughter away. This isn't right. Um, and it just kind of blew up into this thing. And, and was there for you a, a longing for them as well? Like, how, like how did you process yeah. the was, letting go of of that right it was it was really difficult to process like I think culturally most of all you know I went from from you know growing up in a black home and always in a black environment black neighborhoods and now all of a sudden I'm living in the suburbs with literally a white family mm -hmm. and we are no longer listening to Anita Baker and Aretha Franklin. We, you know, it like, it was such a shift culturally for me. Um, but I feel like because I associated this family with ballet and, and it was like this, it was love and it didn't matter what color they were. And I, I adapted really well because I felt that genuine love from ballet and from them. Mm -hmm. 
Um, since we've talked a little bit about it, why don't we just take that question that we talked about earlier, which is there are a lot of people who would prefer that you not actually talk about yourself as a black ballerina. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to say, what do you like to cook? I'm going to get there. We're going to get there. We've got, we've got time. That's, that's number eight on the list. Oh, I have so much to say about that. Um, it's, um, it's really difficult for me to you know, because I'm in this position, and this amazing position, and have these, these incredible platforms to be seen, um, for people to look at a black ballerina and maybe not have any knowledge of ballet and say, like, that's a ballerina. Like, that is huge. So just because I'm in this position, I, I can't just remove that from my title. Mm -hmm. Like, I wouldn't be me I wouldn't be in this position if I weren't a black woman, mm -hmm. if I weren't a black ballerina. And so it's, it's, it's difficult to explain to people who have never experienced what it is to be a minority or to be black in America. So it's hard to explain to them that that's not something you can just drop. Mm -hmm. Like, you, I still have to live with this. This is still me. Um, <laughs> Backstage, we were talking about what it is to be the only one in the room, mm -hmm. and that as you progress through your career, there are different rooms, but still, very often, you're the only one mm -hmm. in the room. Right. Um, uh, uh, in, are people getting clearer? Because you're not, as I said to you earlier, you're not new. Mm -hmm. So, so do, you, do you encounter m more understanding? Or is it still people still behind their preconceptions? Um, yeah, I don't know that there's more understanding. Um, I don't. I mean, I, I, I'm not someone that's going to say, like, oh, you know, President Obama changed, you know, the way people, you, you know, no one's racist anymore. Or, like, I'm here and it, it doesn't exist. Like, it's just not reality. Um, and so I, I feel like there's. People are familiar and comfortable with me. I don't know that they're definitely comfortable with a black woman. Um, you know, so there are two other black women that are in ABT now, and that is huge. And, um, and I try to be there to, to support them. But um, you know, if people have questions, which some people do, that don't understand what it is to, to, you know, to be the, the only one, right. like I, will, I do and will gladly answer you know, whatever curiosity and questions they have. Like, I don't fault people for not understanding. Um, but I think it's a, a dialogue that we need to keep open for people to grow and understand and to make change. There are some people who don't understand the, the discussion around body type and how it essentially are, is code words mm -hmm. for not white. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, because when people, when average people look at you, they see a ballerina. They don't really understand what the, what the dividing line was. And mm -hmm. you talked about uh, uh, hitting puberty a little late, yeah. and all of a sudden you developed a woman's body, and they didn't quite know what to do, what to yeah. do with that. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because 
when I started ballet, you know, I was considered a prodigy and I was like, oh, you know, this perfect ideal. So it was a little easier to look past my skin color, um, I think. Um, so as a child, you know, it was like, oh, you have this little peanut head and a long neck and big feet and long legs. And I was like, that's ugly. And they're like, no, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's how I, I was like, I am, I'm a ballerina. Like, I look like a ballerina. And then, you know, I became a professional and my body changed. And, um, and then I had big boobs and I had thighs and like... Um, and I was no longer, you know, that 13-year-old um, perfect little ballerina body. And I feel like people started to look at me in a different way. And, um, and did, a, and did a, you look at you in a different way? Or um, was it only when people sort of made brought comments, it, yes. brought it to it, your it was, attention? It On the inside, when, you just felt like Misty yes, Ballerina. I absolutely did. And, and I think it's also because I didn't grow up in the ballet community, and I didn't have those, like those ideas in my head, like, I need to be thin, I need to be this. Like, it was like, I stepped into this world and I happened to be good at it and I just did it. And, and so I wasn't ever thinking that I needed to be anything else. Um, but yes, it was people that brought it to my attention, um, well, being told to lose weight by ABT. Um, but... Uh, Can I ask a, a yes. really personal question? <laughs> yes. At your heaviest, how much did you weigh? Um, Maybe like 108 or 109. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm 5'2. And. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, all, <laughs> all of that to say, you know. It's something that has taken me a long time to really um, clearly understand that language that's being used because I'm, I meet so many um, black dancers that it's like we have the same exact stories and we're told the same thing, the same words. And, and you know, and I'll look at a lot of them like, how can you possibly be told you don't have a dancer's body? You know, and, and it's like, this is, this is their way of saying it without saying it. Like, you don't have the right skin color, you don't belong here, you don't fit in, you've never been a part of this, so you don't belong here. Mm -hmm. I wanna talk a little bit more about, uh, about the body. And uh, uh, you and I were talking backstage, and I said one of the things that for me is so remarkable about you is that uh, you hit these sort of, you push yourself to these levels of achievement, and then the body breaks a little bit. Right? You, you get into ABT and you have a severe back in injury mm -hmm. that costs you a year of dancing. Yeah. Then you, you build yourself up and you dance the firebird and then we discover these fractures that require surgery and then this sort of coming back. How, how did you mentally stay tough enough mm -hmm. to come back after what would everyone considered to be career-ending injuries, both of them, yeah. because you started dancing so late, mm -hmm. the, the perception that each of these was career-ending injuries, but you came back with a new uh, kind of focus and fire. Mm -hmm. what, what was it? How did you do it? Well, I, I think that dancers have an incredible emotional and mental strength. Um, so with that, I think before I started dancing, learning 
to survive in any way I could as a child, I think has made me the strong person that I am when, it, when it's in these situations, like um, under pressure or, or, you know, when I feel like something's gonna be taken away from me, it's like, no, I'm gonna fight for this. And I think that that was just in, instilled in me from a child, that it was like, you know, it was just the mode I was in always. It was like, no, we're going to make it. And watching my mom, you know, like, no, we're, we're not going to sleep on the street. We're going we're gonna find, to somehow find a way. And I think that that's just always been a part of me. Um, you know, the most critical was definitely, you know, when I did the Firebird. And there was a, a different... Um, motivation at that point you know I, I had been in the company for 12 years and I'd been a soloist for I don't know like seven six or seven years at that time so I was 29 years old and I was given this opportunity to do the lead in a classical ballet and that's extremely late in a, in a dancer's career to get an opportunity like that most likely will never be a principal dancer um, at 29 if you're not given an opportunity before then um, and something had shifted at that point. I had started working with my manager, and, and um, uh, you know, the, my, the conversation of diversity was really starting to resonate with people. And um, I remember doing the Firebird in, in Los Angeles. I did two shows, and, and the audience was so diverse. It was really the first time that we saw such a diverse crowd. And I knew I was injured at that point, and I pushed through maybe half of the spring season, and then Firebird came, and it was just like the black community was literally coming out to see, to see a black woman do this for the first time at the Metropolitan Opera House with American Ballet Theater. And it was like, I have to do this. Like, it doesn't matter if I go out there and I'm like limping. I'm like, I just got to show up, you know? <laughs> I got to show up on that and, stage I, and I've got to be costume, on that right? stage and I've got to sh show this you know, generation that's never seen this, that may never see it again. Like, show them this is possible. Show all those dancers that were never given an opportunity. Like, this is you. This is what you could have been and you still can be through me. And so that was the motivation to getting back from that injury. It was, it felt like life or death to me. Well, and it sounds <laughs> you know? like some of the people I, in, in um, A Ballerina's Tale, the documentary that Nelson George did, uh, uh, one of your best friends says that you know you, you really cleaned up your act as a dancer when you discovered this higher calling mm -hmm. that it made uh, uh, that everything changed. Yeah, it was it was a different purpose and a different responsibility. It wasn't it wasn't so singular and almost selfish um, feeling. Not that we're selfish as dancers, but you know a lot of it is. We spend so much time working on ourselves and doing this for ourselves, even though we give so much of ourselves on the stage night after night. It's still like a very singular thing to experience. And um, I, yeah, I, I guess I, I didn't have that same motivation in, in, that I had when I was 13 years old when you know, you're being celebrated now was like, you're the oddball out, you're fat in our eyes, and like, where do you belong? And so um, it definitely sparked something different in me when it was like, you can, you can help to change what ballet is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, um, you did a, uh, an interview with former President Barack Obama. And um, one of the questions, one of your answers to one of the questions, you said, when you have all of these expectations and goals to reach this point that 1% get to, you know, how do you 
what do you do when you get there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I asked him that. Yeah. What do you do? <laughs> so I'm, so I'm, I'm asking you, okay. uh, uh, you know, you're in that place of being the, mm-hmm. having done all the work to be the 1%, mm-hmm. to be in the 1%. Yeah. What is it? What does it feel like to you? And what's, how are you navigating it? Yeah, it, I, I have my like ups and downs. And, and I think as dancers, we're very critical of ourselves. And um, I feel like it's just, it's a different responsibility and a different pressure. Um, it's, it's such an honor. And I think that when I first was promoted, it took me like a year to accept it. <laughs> you know, I, I was at a point where it was like, I'm doing Romeo and Juliet, I'm doing Swan Lake, I'm doing Firebird, this is incredible. It doesn't matter if I'm a principal dancer or not. Like, I'm doing what I've always wanted to do. I mean, I understood what that title meant um, for so many. Uh, So, you know, once I got there, it was like, do, am I as good as, you know, all these incredible dancers that have come before me at American Ballet Theater, you know? The title of principal dancer is a kind of validation. It's a validation. Um, but, I mean, as a, as a black dancer, I mean, I understood what that, what that title meant to, for me to have it. But um, once I got there, yeah, it was, it was interesting to just, I was, you know, started to have these insecurities again. It was like, where is this coming from? And, you know, you start to think of, you know, Mikhail Baryshnikov and Gelsie Kirkland and, you know, all of these incredible dancers that have come through ABT and you're like, am I really, like, there? <laughs> and, um, you know, I, and I think that it's about just accepting accepting your journey and your path and not comparing it to anyone else's. And that's just kind of where I'm at right now is that I'm just trying to, to do me and not get caught up in, there's always going to be negativity and things I read and, and I try not to read and, um, and it's difficult. And I just have to, you know, believe in myself, go up there and, and, and do my best every performance. You're, um, you're, It's, it's slowed a little, but not a lot, because this new book gins it back up again. But for maybe 18 months, it was all Misty Copeland all the time. Oh. <laughs> Under Armour, the New York Times, the, all, of those, all of those things. And a kind of celebrity gets attached. Yeah. How do you, <laughs> what is that, what is that face? I, yeah. and, uh, uh, and how do you navigate what it is to be the celebrity, not just the black ballerina, but the celebrity Misty Copeland dancer. I hate that word so much. <laughs> I do, like, I just, um, it's, it's amazing to be able to, like, represent this art form that has given me everything. It's given me my life, and I'm so grateful for it. And I think it diminishes it when you put those words on it, you know, being famous or celebrity, because dancers are so much more, first of all. And to single me out, like I understand why I'm in this position and why I'm getting this attention. It's a big deal, you know, to be an African-American and make it to this level. But I just feel like I want to represent all dancers in a really positive way and for it not to be about me, for it to be about bringing ballet with me on these, in these platforms. And um, so it's difficult when I, when I hear that. Like, I don't want to be thought of as, as a Kim Kardashian. Like, I don't want to be attached to that. <laughs> 
just, I have, um, I have, I have so much respect for my art form and for dancers, and um, and so that's what that's what I I want my legacy to be. Can you just since we're here, can you share with this audience what a what a typical day for Misty Copeland is? I'm we, start we crying about, again. Like it's Well, you talk about you know uh, uh, not being Kim Kardashian. I think that that when people understand what it is mm -hmm. to get through the week, yeah, you know, in in season, right? You know that that's that's. That's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a ton of work. Um, and so, let's see. When I'm, when I'm in season with ABT, like this is an off week for me, so I can do these things. Um, but when I'm, when I'm in season, I'm uh, in ballet class at 10.15. goes until 11.45. I'm in rehearsal from noon until 7, um, five days a week. Um, sometimes no break at all in between. And um, so I get... Sundays and Mondays off, and that's usually when I'm doing like photo shoots and filming commercials and doing interviews and book events. And then if I have like a week off, then I'll, right now I'm on a book tour, so I'm in a different city, like state every day, um, doing events and things. Um, but you know, it's, it's incredible that I have these opportunities and I wanna take advantage of them while I, while I can. And, and again, like it's amazing to be able to have an Under Armour deal as a dancer. Like I want that to be the new norm. Mm -hmm. Like why aren't dancers getting these opportunities that athletes are? We work harder. <laughs> so shall we talk about this book? Oh, okay. <laughs> Ballet Body is uh, Misty's new book, and it uh, is a combination of uh, fit, health and fitness and food. Yeah. Yeah? Uh, can you talk about what the, what the seed was? Like, did you just wake up one day and said, ha? Oh, all right, Ballet Body. No. Um, there were so many things. I, you know, throughout the, the course of my career, I've been asked a lot of the same questions. What do you eat? What do you do to cross-train outside of outside of ballet, like how do you stay mentally strong and prepared, emotionally present? Um, so it made sense just to, to do something like this. And I, I think also as a dancer, like I wanna show people kind of like what it really is to be a dancer. You know, we eat, we're not anorexic, you know, we're athletes, we, we work really hard, we, um, we have to constantly be thinking and taking care of our bodies because it's our instrument. This is how we do what we need to do is through our body. And so I thought like this is a, a beautiful way for people to um, connect to and feel that it's possible for them to do whether they're a dancer or not. Um, that word ballerina body, uh, it's not, you know, like, oh, here, take this book and do this and you're going to be me or you're going to be a ballerina. But, um, you know, it's, it's has been this long journey of me creating my own version of a ballerina body. And I want women to look at this as creating their own version of a healthy body, of their, their own ballerina body. Um, uh, when did you fall in love with cooking? 
Um, well, my mom did not cook at all. So, like, you know, I was eating cup of noodles and, like, you know, string beans out of a can and hot dogs. And so I had no knowledge of nutrition growing up at all and, and wasn't exposed to cooking, really. So when I moved to New York when I was 17, it was like, well, you better figure something out. <laughs> so I kind of just taught myself. Like, I would watch the Food Network. I started buying cookbooks, and, and, I, and I literally started teaching myself. And, and I fell in love with it. It became this um, an, another escape for me. When I was in the kitchen and I put on music and, and I felt like I was being creative, but it was very calming at the same time. Um, how, have any of you seen Misty as a judge on Chopped Jr. on Food Network? <laughs> that was so fun. <laughs> so, well, I'm, I'm sort of curious about it. Like, do they, how do they prepare you to do um, this? You know, I, they I just throw like, food at right, you and no. say, you know, <laughs> you know it's, it's, it, I feel like I never say yes or agree to, to do something or be a part of something that I don't feel comfortable or I'm not passionate about, you know, with every opportunity that I have, it's not like I'm just like, oh yeah, sure, like give me that check and I'll do, I'll pretend to like this or do this, you know, it's, that's just not what I want in my life. Like I have very little time and it's going to be done doing something that I love doing. So when it came to, you know, I don't know how they deal with their celebrity judges on that show because I don't know if like some of them probably don't cook. <laughs> And they're, no, really, and so I, it felt very easy for me. They were just like, you know, these are the kids, this is what they're gonna be making, and I was like, great, let's taste the food, and I'll tell them what I think, and you know, not be so hard on them, because they're children, but. Uh. <laughs> not like a dance master. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it felt very easy. Mm -hmm. um, uh, do you have a favorite thing to cook? <laughs> Um, I, well, one of my go-tos, just because my husband loves it, is this citrus salmon um, that I like make the marinade myself. It's like um, white wine vinegar, orange juice, soy sauce, brown sugar, scallions, and um, then you let the salmon like sit in that for like maybe 15 minutes, put it in the refrigerator, and then you take some of the remaining um, marinade and you um, like bring it to a simmer and let it get thick, and then you put the salmon in the broiler. Um, and you pour it on top, and it's so good. <laughs> uh, uh, thinking about the, the next phase for Misty Copeland, there's more dance. That's yes. a given. There's more <laughs> dance. Uh, do you, are you beginning to have a vision of what life down the road might be? Is, no. is, are the books a thing? Or <laughs> no. the, you know, is it, um, or is it just you'll know it when you get to it? I'm well, hoping that's what happens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, I've, of course, you know, I think that I will, um, I will continue writing. Uh, it's been something that I've done since I was like 15 years old and, and really enjoyed doing it. Um, but I will be connected to dance and involved in, in dance and diversity in dance um, forever. Uh, but I feel like it's hard for me to really be present and focused in what I'm doing and think about that. Like, I feel like I'm like, I need to just do me what's happening right now and enjoy it and be present. Um, there's a lot of uh, conversation out these days about that, that centers around the word resilience. Mm -hmm. Can you talk just a little bit about, about your, the key to your resilience? Mm -hmm. 
Um, and maybe uh, when, uh, describe a time when you sort of feel like you were maybe your most resilient self. Okay. Um, it, it, I feel like it just keeps coming back to the mentors. Like, I feel like that's what has um, shaped me and protected me and prepared me to be resilient um, is having that support system and, and people that are there to like push away all the negativity. It's so easy these days on social media. It's so easy to just like read a comment and, and you know, you push aside every positive thing you see and you see that one negative thing and you're like, that's true. That's, you know, like that, yeah, it must be true. This one person I don't even know said it about me. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I have an amazing husband that's, that's there by me that's like, wake up. Like, do you even know these people? And they don't know you. And, and, and I feel like when you just have a true understanding of who you are, like who you are inside, um, that it allows you to, like, have, you know, have all that negative negativity just bounce off of you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what is it about uh, about New York? We were talking about your loving New York. You're you're a California. I am born and raised, yes. but, but New York is your is your home. your place. Yeah. What is it about the energy of that place? That I cannot imagine myself living anywhere else. Even like thinking about kids, I'm like, what are we, how are we going to do this? Because I want to stay in New York. <laughs> um, it's, it's alive. It's, I feel like it's brought me out of my shell. It's made me, it's helped to make me the woman that I am. Like, just feeling like you're a part of the people. You're not removed. You're not in a car. Like you're out there. You're in it with people, you walk, whether you, you like it or not. You, you walk you know? the streets, take the subway. I, I don't take the subway as much anymore. Um, but I, yes, I walk the streets, and even the crazies. Like it just makes it New York, you know. <laughs> they like. I'll have people that literally will just come up to me like they know me, and they'll put me in a headlock and be like, "Let's take a selfie," and I'm like, "Who are you?" <laughs> you <know? laughs> But it's like, it's New York, and I, I don't think I would get that anywhere else. <laughs> it's, uh, it's probably good uh, preparation for the kind of energy that comes now with Absolutely. Being, being a relatively famous, I'll, I, won't, I, won't, I won't use the C word, being relatively famous. Uh, but people, there's a yeah, kind of energy you. that comes. Absolutely. With, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's got to be overwhelming sometimes. Um, do you do you find yourself someone who wades into that energy, or are you? No. Does your shy girl come yeah. up? Yeah, and I've always been that way. Like if I'm in a group of people and there's that one person that's like wants to be the center of attention, is loud. I literally am like, like I just. I mean, but in general, I think that I prefer to wait till I'm on stage to have the focus on me. Like. Mm -hmm. It's, it's exhausting to me, and I'd rather just like reserve my, my energy for performing. Well, and, and you definitely put out way more energy than we could ever possibly <laughs> give to you when you're dancing. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if in your, in your work as a dancer, in kicking open the door to make space for others, um, what is it that you, that you hope that dance does in the world as a result of being transformed by mm -hmm. these new, this new energy, these yeah. new people? 
I, I, I mean, I just feel like it can unite so many people. Like, um, I was sent by um, the president um, to Cuba to speak about this, like, to speak about, you know, bringing different cultures together through art and through dance. And, and it's, it's just an incredible opportunity, I think, especially right now, you know, what's happening in the world. And so um, I feel like we, we hold that power and responsibility um, to bring people together and, and to stop all this craziness and separation and, and racism. Like, and I think that we can do that as artists. And so I hope that that's what I can continue to do by being a black ballerina. It's beautiful. Um Just a, a follow-up on, on this point. Can you talk about maybe one of the experiences, the cross-cultural experiences that you had that have made a big, uh, lasting impression? I mean, you've been all over the world, mm -hmm. uh, but what would, might be one of those times where something happened and it just lands in your spirit differently than mm -hmm. just performing for the people? Right. Um, I think probably uh, spending time in Rwanda um, with this in incredible um, program that brings in these street kids, they're called. I mean, because they literally are, they live on the street and a lot of their uh, family, they, they lost to HIV. And um, it was just eye-opening to see, first of all, to see the way these kids are living, but to see the way they were brought into this um, environment and this program that's using dance. It's like the first thing they learn. A lot of these kids are between the ages of like six and 19 and have never been to school. They're illiterate. Um, they don't even know how to begin to learn, let alone communicate and talk to someone. So they're starting them out with a basic dance class, like get their body moving. It gets their cognitive skills going. And then they, when they graduate to the next level, they introduce them to language. They start teaching them English. They start learning to write. They start to learn to work on a computer. And it was just like, the power of dance is so strong and incredible. And it's like, I want to, I, I don't want to say it out loud, but I want Trump to see this. I'm gonna uh, take a few questions uh, here from the audience. I have a magic iPad. <laughs> um, and they're gonna tell you where to ask a question. Um, folks have been asking questions since yesterday. <laughs> and you just answered a question because you talked about your work in Rwanda. Oh. Um, Uh, Misty, a lot of discussion of being black has been framed as a disadvantage. How has growing up black, living in a black neighborhood, being a black girl, and now woman informed your craft and enabled you to be a success? Hmm. Has, it ever, um, has it ever been perceived from you on the inside as a negative? Did you ever buy that? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was just difficult. It was hard. I mean, I thought, like, 
there were times when I was like, what am I doing here? Like, this isn't gonna happen for me. Like, why am I wasting my time? Mm -hmm. I think something that was positive um, that I feel like sets me apart as an individual and as an artist is just the, the, the music I grew up around. Like, the environments, I think, shaped me in a different, in a different way and not your typical way that most dancers experience coming into the ballet world. Like, you know, starting at a late age and like, you know, I started choreographing when I was like seven years old to like soul music. And that was like where I first got my like movement. Are we down. ever gonna see a, a, a Misty Copeland choreographed dance piece? No. <laughs> I had to ask. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Do you have a favorite role? Yes, um, at the moment. Well, that's hard. I haven't performed Giselle yet, and I love it, but um, Juliet, for sure. Oh, I love it so much. I do. What is it about the, about I, the role? I think it's, um, I realized, like, as I was doing my first Juliet, like, I think this is what I'm good at. Like the, the theater, the theatrical, the acting side of dance, like there, it brought me this power where you can just like forget about the technique and let that take over. Um, and it's, it's such an amazing experience to just be that character on stage. Um, let's see, we've answered that question. <laughs> Do you ever feel objectified in performance as a dancer? Oh. Or are you just perceived as just a body up there? No, I don't. I, I, it's very interesting. I've never talked about this out loud. <laughs> Would you, it could just be you and me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, in, it's interesting. I've never, ever felt that way. Like, I, I completely understand and appreciate art. And I, and I feel like people that maybe don't always get it, they can remove themselves and look at it in that way. But it's interesting, because I know Prince gets it. But Prince once said to me, I was doing this role in Alexei Rutmansky's Bright Stream, and I was the milkmaid. So I literally had to like get down on my knees and like milk this imaginary cow. And he was like, you shouldn't be doing that. You're a ballerina, you're a woman, get off of your knees. And I was like, um, like I get what you're saying, but I don't know that this is the right, like this is the platform, you know? <laughs> Um, what's the most played song on your iPad, iPod? Oh, um, I'm constantly just like changing albums. Oh, before I was here, I was just listening to Frank Ocean's new album. <laughs> um, this is a question I'm sure you get all the time. Um, but if you could go back in time, what would you tell your, young, your younger self? I think that I would just like assure her that everything's gonna be okay. I mean, I was such a nervous child and I just like, everything I did, it was like, I just thought my world was gonna fall apart. You know, if I did something wrong, I think I would just like calm down, breathe, be patient and, and believe in yourself. You can actually fail and get better at the same time. Uh, yes, and I know. Right? <laughs> um, You talked a little bit about your, your, the mentors in terms of support system before you got to ABT. When you first got to the company, were, were there any people inside the company who sort of took you uh, under their wing or 
Was it more like bonding with your peers to survive the onslaught? Um, I feel like I connected with the black men in the company, like a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say they took me under their wing, like we were supporting each other. Um, Eric Underwood, he's a soloist with the Royal Ballet. He was like a, he was like my brother in the company. And like, it's nice to have someone who gets it with you, like that has experienced the things that you've experienced. And you can come together and like have a moment during the day where you're like, yeah, that happened and we get it. You know, and it's and it's nice to have that, and and I think that that's like everyday things that a lot of people don't understand. You know, when you're the only one that you can't do. Right. Um, uh, there's a, a whole slew of questions about uh, stretches and work at the bar. Okay. So. <laughs> um, so one of the girls um, was asking me this or we talked about it a little bit backstage earlier, so I'll talk about it. Um, being hyperextended has been like, <laughs> it's been like a beautiful thing and, and part of my body and line that, that um, you know, is good for ballet, but at the same time, it's caused a lot of my injuries and, um, and it's really difficult to work that way. And, and just something that I've learned like so much, like coming back from especially this most recent surgery, um, is how how much you can do with your feet to take the pressure off of like your bones. And I would never recommend, and I'm sure so many dancers here do it, but standing with your heels apart and just your knees touching is like the worst thing you can do for yourself. You'll, you'll never work that way in like real life. Like if you stand in first position, you know, in center with your knees that way, like, and then you try and do a Tom do, like, where's your weight? It's gonna be on your heel. So, you know, it's, I think, important to, like, understand how to, like, really... Let me see. <laughs> like, okay, so if I try to stand this way and then I try to do a tondu, like, I got nowhere to go. So, like, just understanding how to, like, pull up the fronts of your knees and using your feet almost like suctions. And even when you release the leg that it doesn't lock back, that it's still straight. And I don't know, that's just something that I work on every day. <laughs> um, this question says, as a mom who never danced and can feel overwhelmed by the ballet world, I'm a mom of an aspiring dancer who's only 11 and already facing tough decisions. What is the best advice you can give for a parent to support a ballet dancer hopeful, both for a healthy mind and spirit and for physical well-being? Oh, I think... Um, support them, be there for them, but don't try and, and act like you know. <laughs> like, you know, I think that it's, it's important to be like a support system, but, but not to give them like specific advice or things, you know, about what they're doing. I think that it's best to like separate yourself and not, you know, get, have them thinking like you're trying to be their coach or too much of a, you know, a stage mom or parent and um, be there for them. Like if they want to come to you, they will, but be that support and kind of, I think maybe not get too overbearing. Sort of grow the confidence that yeah. it's going to take to, to weather the world. Right. Um, someone wants to know if there was only one ballet performance to see in New York this year, what, what should they, what, 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 would, what would it be? Um, like from ABT or did yeah, we'll go with okay. ABT. Okay. <laughs> um, huh. Maybe the new Alexei Rutmansky ballet, Whipped Cream. Okay. 
Write it down. I love him so much. <laughs> um, what is it, uh, or how does ballet prepare a person for life? It really does. It, no, and, and that's a, you know so much the structure of of ballerina body. I feel like I've I've used what I've learned from being a dancer, and I and I try and apply that to my life every day. Um, the discipline, the sacrifice, uh, you know, being a part of a team really when you're in a company, um, working together, and and I just having you know. Even the ritual of, of this meditation I feel when I do ballet class every morning. It's like a, a, this, it's having that consistency in your life of a, a time where you're finding yourself, you're getting balanced, and, and I think it's important for people to find that in their lives in some form, you know, not necessarily being so literal and like getting a yoga mat and like, you know, doing meditation in that way, but finding something for you in your life that calms you and brings you back when there's so much chaos. But there's just so much beauty in, in the ballet worlds that I feel like anyone can benefit from being a part of, even if you don't go on to be a professional dancer. Do you find, uh, as you're watching uh, younger dancers come behind you, um, are they as resilient as, as in terms of uh, accepting <laughs> critique? Oh, maybe not that. <laughs> <laughs> they seem so resilient and confident and, and incredible. Like for me, like if I want to work, I go and like take a class with like the school or the studio company because it's like the crazy stuff they can do now. You know, it's on another level. But the one thing that, and I say this out loud, like if I teach a class or something that like the first thing it's like one of the things that you really have to be aware of when you're in a company and in the corps de ballet is like just being aware of the space around you and being respectful of other people. You know, I feel like so many young dancers, they're so caught up in the mirror, they literally will run into other people. And I know it's going to be like, wake up and stand on the side if you're not dancing and stop looking at yourself in the mirror. Um, <laughs> But, but overall, they seem much, they seem very confident and, and resilient in, in a way, like, I don't know, that things don't phase them. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, I train actors and, and uh, uh, there is a lot of, uh, such a desire for perfection mm -hmm. that the smallest note can send it some people, yeah, yeah. you know, off. Yeah, do you I find that, that with some of the young dancers? Yeah, I do, I do, and, um, and it, I... I feel like my generation, it was like we were, we wanted, we wanted corrections. And if we didn't get them, we were like, what's wrong? Why am I not, I want to like grow. And Are I you not invested in me enough right. to give yeah, me a Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so. Yeah. Is there a contemporary choreographer that you dream of working with? Um, who haven't I worked with? That's. No, no. <laughs> Wayne McGregor? Yeah. And um, this one, I think we talked a little bit back. Um, do you ever see yourself starting a studio? No. Can you talk about I why not? I can say that. Can you talk about why like, not? In all honesty. Um, I think it takes such a special and like certain type of person to be a teacher and to open a studio. And I just don't think I have it in me. Like, I really don't. Um, it is so much hard work, and I mean, you really have to commit everything 
to it. And I, and I can't see myself like doing that. I can't see myself just like dropping everything that I, I love and want to still be doing in the future because I'd have to, like I wouldn't just attach my name to a studio or something and then like have someone running it. Like I like to be in control of everything <laughs> I'm doing. Well, and this is also why your cook wouldn't have a restaurant. Right. The same reason, right? The yeah. all-consuming yeah. nature of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's, there is a question about the Under Armour. Hmm. Uh, uh, after Kevin Plank's pro-Trump comments, how do you plan to move forward with your relationship with Under Armour? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been difficult to put myself in the position of like, people that are looking at this. Um, and I don't, I don't want to speak for Kevin Plank, but I know him, and I know him as a person really well, and, um, and I know what Under Armour represents, and Under Armour is diverse inside and out, and I am proud to be an Under Armour athlete, and they would not have a black woman, you know, standing up there next to their male athletes representing Under Armour if they didn't stand for the same things that I do. And I feel like at this point, we're just gonna have to keep proving that um, with Under Armour and I believe in them and, and I know they have the same beliefs as me. Great. Um, we've talked about food. Would you do a Food Network show? I don't know, maybe. It's, it's not a restaurant, but... It's not. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think that we are starting to repeat some of these questions, so... Uh, I think that, um, that one of the things that, that has been sort of incredibly inspirational in doing all the research on you uh, over this last month that I've been... <laughs> reading and viewing all things Misty Copeland. Um, I think that I, I have been so impressed by your drive, your passion, your commitment to your art form, uh, your incredible heart. Uh, and I think that that's what makes all of these people come out to see you. Um, it's, it's, maybe the defining elements of your blackness <laughs> as a black ballerina is the full humanity that you bring to everything you do. Thank you. And so we are so grateful to have had time with you today. Thank um, you so ladies much. Ladies and gentlemen, Misty Copeland. Thank you. That's it for this podcast of Speakers Forum, featuring a conversation between ballerina Misty Copeland and UW professor Valerie Curtis Newton. This event took place at UW's Meany Hall on March 24th as part of the UW Graduate School Lecture Series, Equity and Difference, Privilege. Thanks for listening. Tune in again soon. Mm -hmm.